week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Princess Moonlight from Japanese folklore, where we'll see that true love means going to war with the moon. But also, if to even start dating someone, they make you go on a years-long dangerous quest, I'm going to go out on a limb. Maybe they're not that into you. The creature this week is a Greek fox, a dangerous animal from Greek mythology that, for once, isn't Zeus. This is Myths and Legends, episode 199, Moonlight. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is a literary fairy tale from 10th century Japan, though the earliest surviving copy is from the 15th century. I say literary fairy tale, but it's also been described as a folk tale, and I can't really seem to find an author. Anyway, I won't bore you with the details, only to say that the story is set in medieval Japan, and like so many fairy tales, begins with a woodcutter. The old man picked up the bamboo shoot from the ground. It took longer to straighten, longer to rise. I can't do better than the translation on this one. And the story says that the old man and his wife had no child to cheer them in their old age. There was no hope for rest from work until they died and were laid side by side in quiet graves. That happy thought on his mind each morning, when it was more and more difficult to get out of bed, the old man kissed his wife goodbye and set out to the mountains. Luckily, the bamboo was plentiful. Spending your day cutting and collecting it was difficult work. So the old man was alone for most of the day. As such, he was alone when he found it. He chose the tree, swung his axe, and was hit with a blinding light. He staggered back and dropped his axe as the thing fell from inside the bamboo stalk. The man, eyes adjusting to the brightness, dared to step forward. When he could make out the edges of what lay on the ground, he rushed to it, to the baby, to her. There, on the ground, was a glowing baby, glowing a bluish white like a pale moonlight. She was no bigger than an egg. Gently cooing, the bamboo cutter picked her up, held her close, and hugged her. Sweet, supernatural baby the bamboo cutter's wife said when he returned home. You knew about this? The man said, handing her the baby. She shook her head, not specifically, but uh, he knew the tropes, right? Sweet elderly couple wishes for children, or else their life is pain and exhaustion until they die, and then they find a tiny baby in something. Be it a peach or, yeah, bamboo stalk. She wasn't banking on it. You gotta be good and humble and kind and all that so you can't just look to the heavens and say, baby, please. So it looked like it worked out. But who sent the baby? What's its purpose? Why is it so tiny? Honey, you're asking the wrong questions, the wife said, as the girl fell asleep in her arms. It almost never matters who sent the baby. And the purpose for them was to have a child. Full stop. It was tiny, so it could fit inside a bamboo or gourd or whatever else and be a fun surprise like that candy with the toy inside that they had to stop doing because it's a bad idea to put hard objects inside of candy. 
The woman held the baby up. She was already bigger than the fabled inch-high samurai. And usually these kids caught up quickly. Seriously, you're overthinking this. Enjoy the baby. The wife was right, at least about the girl growing quickly. In weeks, she was the size of a normal baby. But midnight feedings and a crash course in diaper changes weren't the only big change. It came about week five or six. The elderly couple was already stretched to their limit with work and stuff before the baby. Now it just felt impossible. Then the bamboo cutter started bringing something else home. The first time he struck a bamboo shoot and gold and precious stones came spilling out, the man thought, yeah, he, he's dying. In his last moments, he was like hallucinating or something. This wasn't actually happening. He believed that until, in the sled he towed home each night, he brought a pile of gold home. And his wife could see it too. This was more gold than either of them had ever seen in one place. And that wasn't the end of it. For the next few weeks, every shoot the bamboo cutter took down was full of gold and jewels. He would collect it each day and count it each night. When they became multi-millionaires, they decided that that was probably enough. The next day, the old man went to the city to look for a home. It was three months to the day that the old man had found the baby. Now, with the help of the mysterious gold, the couple could finally rest and raise their daughter. Her parents treated the girl like a princess. And it said that the girl had a benign influence on everyone around her. Despite the difficulties, whenever her parents felt sad, they only had to look on their foster daughter. And they became happy again. At three months, when the name giver came to the bamboo cutter's home, who, I guess, he's now not a bamboo cutter anymore, but we're just going to keep calling him that, the name giver took one look at the girl and gave her a name. Princess Moonlight. He called her that because the light that shined from her when she was a baby hadn't gone away. She glowed like the moon. She looked like she was the daughter of the moon god himself. For three days, a festival rang out in the city to celebrate the naming of Princess Moonlight. Everyone who saw her declaring that they had never seen anyone so lovely, and all the beauties in the land would pale next to her. And not only because of the pale light constantly and strangely emanating from her. And so, Princess Moonlight grew up, a joy to everyone, radiating kindness and peace. The old bamboo cutter hugged his daughter, now 16 years old. He was going out. He whistled for the guards. Would they mind clearing the way a little bit? The men nodded at their boss. The bamboo cutter looked to his family. All right, see you later. Back up, back up, let him through, the guards barked. You want this man to be your father-in-law, right? Let him leave the house. Before the doors slid closed, the mass of men, suitors for Princess Moonlight, crowded in front of the family's house, straining for some sight, any sight of her. As they were on most days, today they were disappointed too. Still, they arrived in droves to seek her hand in marriage, waiting for days to even get a chance to talk to her elderly parents. She looked on all the men and said no. This went on for months after she came of age, but the men eventually taking the hint and, you know, needing to eat and make a living, the space before the house began to clear out. Then, only five remained. They sat out in the yard day and night, never leaving. 
they stayed through the sweltering summer and biting cold of winter. They wrote verses to Princess Moonlight, and each time her father passed, respectfully, yet firmly, asked for her hand in marriage. The bamboo cutter respected their resolve, but said that his daughter said that she wasn't interested. It wasn't them, she just didn't want to marry anyone. The men asked if, you know, he couldn't medieval dad the situation and just force her into marriage. That was not exactly unprecedented. The bamboo cutter said that he wanted his daughter to be married. That wasn't a secret, but he couldn't force his will on her. She wasn't his biological daughter. The men were confused. She wasn't? The bamboo cutter said that he and his wife were in their 70s and she glowed. No, that shouldn't be surprising. She was one of those no-strings-attached magical heaven babies you find in, like, food and stuff. The samurai men nodded. Yeah, made sense. They took a seat and resumed their vigil for the young woman's heart. Inside, the bamboo cutter went to his daughter. He said he knew she didn't want to marry, but he was in his 70s and had lived a hard life in the forest. He could go at any moment and only wished for his daughter to be married before he died. She didn't want to marry but she saw how much it meant to her father. She took a deep breath. Okay, but here are the conditions. The men shot up as the bamboo cutter exited the house. He grimaced. Look guys, I'm gonna be real. I'm pulling for you, I really am. You've really shown you're tough and committed and you're waiting outside the door for her to choose you. Classy move. If this was like a romantic comedy or something, you'd be golden. Uh, apparently not good enough for my magical moon daughter, though. The men froed their brows. Did she say no again? Because they were used to no. The bamboo cutter shook his head. On the contrary, she said yes, but it was basically impossible. The men stopped him. Nothing was impossible in love. What did she want them to do? The bamboo cutter said that these were impossibly dangerous missions that might take years. They hadn't even seen his daughter, just meet someone else. They were all handsome samurai. But none of the men left. The bamboo cutter rolled his eyes. Whatever. All right. He produced a list. He pointed to the first samurai. You, he said. And the man tried to interrupt to tell the bamboo cutter his name. Oh, we don't need to remember any more names. Not until I'm sure you're going to come back alive. Samurai 1. You'll be Samurai 1. Samurai 1's task is to go to India to take a journey to the West, if you will, and return with a stone bowl that belongs to the Buddha. I hope you have an immortal monkey friend and a dragon horse. You're going to need them. All right, Samurai 2. Once again, don't need names. You're going to the mountain of Horai in the Eastern Sea. On the mountain summit is a tree and it's said to have roots of silver, a trunk of gold, and branches made of jewels. Just bring back a branch. Oh, fun fact, the mountain of Horai is a mythical land where the air is said to be made of souls. Not sure if you'll suffocate, but if you don't, you'll get all their perceptions and knowledge. Fun stuff. Oh, and the people there are tiny fairies whose hearts don't know evil, so try not to ruin the place. All right, Samurai 3, you're getting the fire rat. Well, the skin of the fire rat, like a fire rat cloak. But you can't really get the skin without getting the fire rat. Am I rat? None of the men were really impressed with his dad jokes. He had only been a dad for like 16 of his 70-something years, but he had apparently taken to the dad jokes in a big way. 
Anyway, you need to get a robe made from fire rat skins. And bring it back here. Samurai 4. Samurai 4. Where's Samurai 4? All right, home stretch. You are trying to find a swallow, which has a shell in its nest. Cool. Good luck with that. Samurai 5. The man raised his hand. And the bamboo cutter rolled his eyes. Yes, there were five guys here. We all know who Samurai 5 is. There's a dragon that carries a stone in its head, radiating five colors. Get the stone and bring it back here. The young man asked if the dad had any more information. The bamboo cutter flipped his clipboard over. Yeah, nope, that's all he had. It's a quest, so, you know, maybe try some questing. I don't know if I hold your hand through everything. All right, boys, bring it in. The bamboo cutter put his hand out. On three, everyone say... I'm not going to do this quest. This is stupid and I should just move on and meet someone else. The men all pulled their hand back and the bamboo cutter shrugged. Well, he tried. We'll see the journey of the five samurai, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Samurai 1 got ready, started on the road to India, a road he knew would be long and perilous, and stopped after like three days. This was probably good. He sent word back to his home city, just to have everything sent here. He picked out a house and moved in. Three years of just hanging around, he decided that enough time had passed for him to not look suspicious. He went to the temple, looked at a stone bowl sitting on an altar, and nodded. That one. He wanted to buy that bowl, he told the priest. He just spent three years doing nothing waiting to marry a woman. This was a name-your-price situation. The priest, who thought, yeah, they could use that new addition to the temple, gift-wrapped the bowl, and sent the samurai on his way. The samurai took some paper and began writing out his story, telling of the perils of his adventures, and finally, the victory of finding the bowl. He waited a couple more days, 
paid some adventure passing through for his clothes and gear and made his way to Princess Moonlight. You're not seeing Princess Moonlight, the bamboo cutter told Samurai One. The samurai was confused. Why not? He did the quest and everything. Did you, though? Samurai One said, yeah? Why, what happened? Oh, it's just like, you're sure you went all the way to India for this and didn't, I don't know, stop at a temple gift shop in Kyoto because the quest was for a glowing jewel-encrusted bowl. And this is, this is just a stone bowl. Samurai One smiled sheepishly and the bamboo cutter shoved the bowl back in his hands. It was in the quest title, Get a Glowing Bowl. Next time, take note so you can scam us better or, you know, Try to marry a woman who wants to marry you. Samurai One took the bowl that cost more than a third house and left. As he did, he passed Samurai Two, back from his quest to the Magic Mountain to get a branch made of jewels. He was flanked by four servants. He told said four servants to wait outside. When are we going to get paid? They yelled. He shushed them soon, soon, after he takes the branch to the princess. So did you get, like, all the wisdom in the world? The bamboo cutter asked, inspecting the branch. Samurai 2 shook his head. No, just regular air. Didn't even see any fairy folk, either. The bamboo cutter nodded, bummer. And then he took the branch back to his daughter. She emerged, tears welling up in her eyes. He did it. He did this? For her? Samurai 2 was speechless. Wow. He had heard of her beauty. But seeing it firsthand... She was unlike any woman he had ever seen. She said that, for her father, she would marry him. Then, they heard the commotion. There were shouts outside, and Samurai 2's servants forced their way through. Was it done? Could they get paid now? Samurai 2 smiled. Yes, of course, I said after. Go wait in the car. But Princess Moonlight wasn't nearly as harsh. Were these his traveling companions? Did they go with him to the mountain of Horai? The men chuckled. Yeah! Horai! Samurai 2 shot some daggers at them and then looked back to Princess Moonlight, who was now standing with her arms crossed. Okay, what's going on? Samurai 2 started saying that these men were ingrates who, but she cut him off. Not you, them. The four servants stepped forward. Uh, he said only stupid people thought that the mountain of Horai existed. So he bought up a bunch of diamonds, and the four of us spent three years shaping them into a tree branch. He said he was going to make us rich. But he's getting all cagey, keeps ignoring the invoices. So I don't think that that's actually happening. Samurai 2 raised his hand to smack the servant. But with a nod from Princess Moonlight, one of her own guards flew from the edge of the room and subdued the man. He was tossed out told never to return. Princess Moonlight, though, held up the branch. She gifted it to the workers, who were definitely not going to get paid now, and thanked them for their honesty. Samurai 3 was, well, he was an honest man, but he was also unlucky. You see, he sent word to China for a robe made out of fire rat skins, and it took years. His friend there searched high and low, went to temples and palaces, even stopped beggars in the streets. 
and it was only with the last man that he talked to, when he had given up hope, and he heard his first rumor of the fire rat robe. It was in a temple that had long since collapsed. Samurai 3 traveled to China to follow up on the one and only lead that they had, sifting through the rubble of the temple himself, until underneath it all, in an iron box, he found the fire rat robe, a robe impervious to fire. In his friend's mansion, he inspected the robe. It was nice enough, of course, it was beautiful, silver, and bright. Though, the legend of the robe said that any time it was burned, it came out of the fire even more beautifully. A robe could never be too beautiful for Princess Moonlight. He asked his friend to build a fire. Looking at the pile of ashes that was the robe, Samurai 3 was sad that the fire rat robe was a myth after all. At least he didn't take it to Princess Moonlight and make her think he was trying to deceive her. He sent her a letter telling her the whole story and said that he wouldn't be returning home. He was staying in China. Even though he hadn't completed his quest, he revealed himself to be an honest man. She sent a letter telling him to return. She chose him. But... Samurai 3 had moved on, maybe seeking a life further out in the wilderness, maybe still seeking after the fire rat robe. Regardless, she neither saw nor heard from him again. Samurai 4 got lucky, and then fiercely unlucky. He was lucky because he had so many swallows' nests in the rafters of his kitchen, which seems like a great way to get bird poop all over your food, but whatever. He ordered his servants up to look through each and every swallow nest for the shell. They devised a system of ropes and pulleys where they would go up in baskets to hunt for the shell in the nests. And after a total of one day, Samurai 4 was getting impatient. Where was his shell? He wanted his shell. Forget it. If he wanted it done right, he would do it himself. He jumped in the basket and ordered his servants to pull. You, at the stove, getting dinner ready, pull. They said that it was dangerous up there. The swallows were pretty angry about having people rooting through their nests. The man said that he was a samurai in some versions of the story. Don't talk to him about a bunch of birds. Now pull. The servants did so. And soon, Samurai 4 was in the rafters. And he saw what his servants were talking about. The sparrows in the rafters, they did not like a bunch of servants rooting through their nests. And when the boss arrived, they decided that they had enough. They attacked. Hitchcock style. They went for his face and he staggered backward, swatting at them before they pecked his eyes out. Then, through the angry black cloud, he saw it. The shell, the object of his quest. He lunged for it in the nest, through a swarm of beaks and claws. He gripped the shell and held it aloft. Victory! It was a shell, but not quite the one he was looking for. He knew this because when he gripped it tightly, the yoke ran down his arms. Oh, just then, the flock of sparrows came at him to avenge the stolen crushed egg. Swatting at them and rolling to the edge of the basket, Samurai 4 rolled off of the basket and tumbled down, hitting the lit stove hard. When he finally got out of the hospital, he couldn't bring himself to think about sparrow nests, let alone the search for the shells. Princess Moonlight never heard from him again. Samurai 5 went off after the dragon and never returned. 
Princess Moonlight only learned years later that he actually did go off after the dragon with the jewel in his head after he paid all of his servants and warriors to go off before him and they just took his money and left him forever. He bragged loudly and frequently about how he was going to slay this dragon, so the dragon made a terrible storm on the sea. After he vomited pretty much everything in his stomach and then some, warned that he would shoot every last person on this boat with an arrow if they didn't dock immediately. They laughed at him, saying that he paid for this journey, he didn't need the bow, just tell them to dock. He screamed at them to do it, and they landed on the first island they found. And that's where his story ends, because the very brave samurai refused to set foot on any boat ever again. So he lived and died on a deserted island in the Sea of Japan. Hey there, the bamboo cutter said to his visitor. Things had calmed down, but they still got an occasional suitor popping by. Gonna need you to sign a waiver, please. The bamboo cutter pointed to the parchment below. Have you heard about the stuff my daughter wants people to do to marry her? Dragons? Magical islands? Sparrows? Might want to think about maybe picking someone else. But the visitor refused to sign. He said that he wasn't here seeking after Princess Moonlight's hand. He was here on behalf of another. He produced a message. One with the imperial seal. Oh. Turned out nobles and samurai talk. And everyone was intrigued by the woman whose hand no one could win. The emperor most of all. The bamboo cutter sighed. He was going to need to talk to his attorney about expanding the waiver. So, can I see her? The emperor wants me to see her. To tell him if she's as beautiful as the rumors say. The messenger asked. The bamboo cutter could only shake his head. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no one sees Princess Moonlight unless she wants to be seen. The messenger protested that he was here on behalf of the emperor. The bamboo cutter only shrugged and showed the man the door. Sorry, it was his daughter's wish and he wanted to respect her. When the ladies-in-waiting arrived, they, too, tried to see Princess Moonlight in the event that it was like a modesty thing. It wasn't and they, too, were turned away. Then, the first messenger returned. Did the bamboo cutter want to have his house stormed by soldiers? Because this is how you get your house stormed by soldiers. Anyway, he hoped that the bamboo cutter would reconsider, because the emperor himself was coming to the area. The bamboo cutter knew that his daughter would never agree to it, but letting some lackey in was way different than letting the emperor himself in. The bamboo cutter sighed. Weeks passed. And the day the emperor was set to arrive, the bamboo cutter sealed himself away. The bamboo cutter knew that he arrived when he heard the scream. The wayward hunter found the door unlocked. Unlocked and unmanned, just as they planned. He crept his way back to Princess Moonlight's bedroom and opened the door. That was the scream that the bamboo cutter heard as the emperor himself, overwhelmed by the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, rushed toward her and dropped to his knees. She hid her face from him, begging him to leave, but he refused. He would never leave her side again. He loved her. He wanted her to return with him to the palace. He would give her a position of honor and everything she ever wanted. Very much not taking the hint, he whistled for the imperial litter to come to the house. But Princess Moonlight wrenched her hand away. Look at her. The emperor staggered back, certainly. But wait, why was she disappearing all back to the future-like? See? See, this is why I can't leave this place, why I can't leave 
them, she screamed. And the emperor nodded. Okay, okay, okay. He would leave. He would leave her alone, provided she stopped fading away. What was even going on? He stepped back further. She lowered her hand from her face, closed her eyes, and took a deep breath. She, once again, became completely opaque. She smiled at the emperor. Thank you. The man nodded, took one last look at Princess Moonlight, and left. He wrote you quicker than you were able to write him back, the bamboo cutter said, bringing the letter in from the messenger. Princess Moonlight smiled and exchanged letters with her father, tearing open the emperor's letter, and sat back as she read the little addition to the last letter, the one that turned into two extra pages. They had been writing each other for the past three years, writing poems, jokes, long, heartfelt letters. They had grown close, despite being separated by miles. This was her only happiness in that time. Her parents had grown old, well, older, and as they did, she found herself drawn outside at night, especially on nights when the moon was full. On those nights, she would just look up and weep. Her parents found her crying one night and asked their daughter what was wrong. The girl smiled sadly. She... She had remembered a truth she thought she had forgotten. She, she wasn't from here. Her parents looked at each other and then back to Princess Moonlight. Yeah, I mean, they found her in a bamboo stalk and she glowed, so that was not difficult to process. Princess Moonlight looked back to the moon. She was from the moon. She was the daughter of the king there. Long ago, she had made a mistake, a big one. She didn't remember what now, and it was only recently that the shadowy memories of her true home, of her banishment, came into sharper focus. She held her parents close. She had been sent down here to live a life on earth, but she never expected to love the elderly couple so much. So now, where once she was heartbroken to have to come here, she was devastated to have to leave. Her parents shook their heads. Why? Why did she have to leave? She looked to the ground. The 15th of August. That was a date that echoed in her mind when her other memories came drifting back. On the 15th of August, her exile ended and she was going home. Her father's warriors would descend from the moon on a cloud and take her back with them. The woodcutter stood. It wasn't fair. She was their daughter. She embraced her father but told him that even though she loved him and he was her dad, this was the way things had to be. That was her home. And she couldn't defy the will of the Moon King. The trio sat together for a long while after that. And it was nearly morning when the elderly couple rose. No strings attached magic baby, the bamboo cutter muttered when they were by themselves. The wife, slumped over herself, asked how she was supposed to know that this time would be the one where the origin of the baby actually mattered. The father shook his head. Well, magical moon princess or no, their daughter wanted to be here. They had the emperor of Japan on their side, and he wasn't going to give his daughter up without a fight.
the night of August 15th. Princess Moonlight stood in her room, awaiting the cloud from the moon to come and take her away. She was hand in hand with her father and mother. Then she turned to her father. She gripped his hand and squeezed. Father, it's time to let go. The man shook his head. What did she mean? The men outside, the ones with swords and bows, the ones that were ready to go to war on her behalf against the Moon Kingdom, tell them to leave. Her father hung his head. He couldn't lose her. She told him that she wouldn't have violence done on her behalf. Please. The bamboo cutter sighed and found the leader of the soldiers hidden outside, ready for the ambush. He said he knew he didn't have the authority to ask them to stand down and leave. But Princess Moonlight, she knew. She didn't want them here. She didn't want a war. The man looked at the bamboo cutter, nodded, and yelled for his warriors to move out. Confused, the bamboo cutter watched them leave, not knowing that they were ordered by the emperor to fight to the death for Princess Moonlight, unless the woman asked them to leave. It was a long night, with the harvest moon hanging yellow on the horizon. Then, the smoke grew from far off. The mother and father stepped from the home and closed the door behind them. In a short time, the entire sky was obscured. In the cloud that stood not ten feet from the home, a massive chariot floated. It was filled with beings that glowed. Glowed like their daughter. The official looked down at them from the chariot. The time has come for Princess Moonlight to return to the moon. We knew you would take care of her. That's why we sent the gold and the bamboo stalks. You have been rewarded for your service. Now, that service has ended. She can come home. The mother and father only hung their heads. Please, please don't take her. The man in the chariot ignored them. Instead, looked to the house and boomed, Princess Moonlight, come out of this lowly dwelling. Rest not here another moment. At these words, the doors to the home slid open by themselves in unison, all the way to Princess Moonlight. A wind swept through the house, and the princess glowed more brilliantly than her parents had seen in the twenty years they had spent raising her. She floated to the exit, and then her feet touched the ground. She had tears in her eyes, but now... She knew where she had to be. She had to go home, to her true home. She told her family as much, and then said that she would miss them dearly. Her father begged her, the chariot driver, the beans from the moon, please, let them go with her. They didn't care about any of this, any of this house or wealth or anything. Just about her. Princess Moonlight said that it was nice, but it wasn't allowed. She could barely live on Earth, and they wouldn't be able to live on the moon. This was where they had to say goodbye. Whenever they missed her, they had only to look up at the moon and remember their time together and know that she was thinking of them, too. Then, she produced something from her robe. It was a small vial tied to a note. She said that this was for her friend, the emperor, the one she had grown to love nearly as much as them. The elderly couple, through the tears, nodded they would see that the emperor received it. With that, Princess Moonlight boarded the chariot, and the mists began to retreat. The husband and wife held each other, watching the procession roll upward in the sky. 
they heard the voices singing for their daughter. And when the mists had left the house, they saw that it was nearly dawn. And their last glimpse of their daughter, the wonderful Princess Moonlight, was one of her waving to them from the rosy clouds. Nearly home. The emperor looked down at the vial and the last note that Princess Moonlight had penned in her human form. Immortality. That's what the note promised. That was her final gift. He looked up at the moon, glowing large on the mountaintop. He knew that somewhere, she was out there looking down on him. He hoped she knew how much he loved her. He took the vial, uncorked it, poured it out in the fire in front of him. The smoke rose high up on the mountain, an offering to the moon princess. It was because of her that he could never drink that vial. He could never bear immortality without her. He was on the top of Mount Fuji when he did this, and it's said that the smoke that comes from that offering continues to rise, even to this day, long after the emperor went to his rest, yearning for the love of Princess Moonlight, a love that would never be. near Tokyo, is a volcano, and I guess in the past produced more smoke than it does now. This is just one fairy tale origin of the smoke of that famous mountain. Oh, and full disclosure, the five samurai in the story aren't samurai in every version. And some they are princes, others nobles, their social standing doesn't really matter to the larger story, so I just went with samurai, as they were in one version. Next week, we're back in Irish folklore for a love story that spans centuries, and also one of the parties being transformed into a scarlet fly the size of a handsome man's head. If you'd like to support the show, for less than the price of meat shredder claws, wolverine-style claws whose only official purpose is shredding barbecue pork, but I mean, come on, wolverine claws, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that won't accidentally send someone to the hospital after you run around the house pretending to be wolverine. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership and the link in the show notes for more info on the clause. The creature this week is the Tumesian fox from Greek myth. Because the ancient Greek city of Thebes can't have nice things, Dionysus sent a giant fox called the Tumesian fox to torment them for a national crime by making them commit more crimes. Each month, the fox demanded that the city sacrifice a child to it, which, even for Greek myth standards, a child a month is a pretty steep price. Worse yet, the fox was designed by Dionysus to be uncatchable and unkillable. Enter Amphitryon, the future stepdad of Hercules. He and his wife, Alcmene, had just fled their home in Tyrans, when Amphitryon accidentally killed his father-in-law, the king of Mycenae. Creon, the brother of Jocasta, and the one who took the reins of Thebes, after Oedipus wrecks everything, said he would help Amphitryon on one condition, 
he kills the unkillable, uncatchable giant fox. Amphitryon wasn't his future foster son. He wasn't a muscle-stacked demigod, but he was smart. He went to the gods and asked for help. And he got it. He got Lylaps, the hunting dog blessed by Hera to catch anything it was sent after. Amphitryon sent the dog after the fox, and a paradox ensued. What happens when an uncatchable fox is pursued by a hound that always gets his quarry? If you're listening to the segment, hoping that I'll resolve the question of what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, well, sorry. Amphitryon knew what he was doing, and Zeus, rather than trying to solve that particular quandary, decided that he had better things to do, and turned them both to stone. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You should really check out BetterHelp. They assess your needs to match you with your own professional, licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Visit BetterHelp.com myths. That's BetterHelp and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com myths. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.